They, tr they truly are the brains of the operation and the beauty, by the way, in case you wondered. Uh, we are not very good-looking men in the Lunsford home, so they make up for that a lot, yeah. Well, uh, good morning to you all. Thanks for, for being here today. My name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor. And um, before I jump into the message, uh, I know there's a lot going on in the news right now, uh, especially in the Middle East again, in Israel, and if you haven't... Um, heard about that, I encourage you to do that. So I just wanted to pray before we jump in and acknowledge the fact that while we live here in Phoenix, there's an entire world that uh, is just constantly um, in, in conflict with itself. And the reminder that as we talk about impacting the world, that God loves the world. And he loves the people of Israel. He loves the people of Palestine um, and all that are included in this. And so I just want to pray for that. Um, there's war all over the world. Ukraine is still at war. Um, there's a lot going on. So I just want to pray, and then we'll jump into our message this morning. God, we come to you this morning recognizing that here in Phoenix, uh, we're a long way from some of the conflict that's happening in the world. And yet we acknowledge this morning that we come to you because you loved the world first and all that are in it. And it breaks your heart to see the conflict that's occurring in places like Ukraine and Israel and around the world. And so, God, I just ask for your divine intervention, God, that you would bring peace, that you would bring uh, understanding, and Lord, that in the midst of all of that, that people would turn to you, that they would see Jesus as the ultimate peacemaker in the world, that they would turn their lives over to him, God, that they would experience salvation and redemption, healing and new life. We pray for the people that are directly affected by this, those who have been injured, those who have died, those who have had family members die. God, um, just the tragedy of it all, we turn to you and we ask for mercy. In your name we pray, amen. Well, one of the weirdest moments of my life was the night that my car was hit by a dog. That's right. I didn't hit the dog. The dog hit me, okay? It's very important. Now, first of all, it's important to understand that the car that I was driving was a 1981 Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra. It was a beauty. It was baby blue. It had a vinyl top. It had velvet interior. It had wire spoke wheels. It was not as beautiful as I'm making it sound, trust me. Uh, we we uh, affectionately called it the Granny Mobile because uh, it looked like your grandmother's car. In fact, it was gifted to us by my aunt, and uh, and so my sister and I drove this throughout high school. It was a unique car; it barely run. Uh, I was about the only person in the world that could drive the car. You had to drive it with both feet, even though it was an automatic. And uh, the key didn't quite work, so you had to put it in just right to get it to turn. And then you could just take the key out at any point. You didn't even need to stay in the ignition. You could just take it out, and you could leave the car running. It was a really unique car. But at the time when I was driving this car, I was 17 years old, and I had gone out with some friends to a movie not far from where I lived in Minnesota. And we were driving back, and we decided to take a little bit different route um, because it's a little faster and, um, you know, whatever. We just made a decision. It wasn't like anything special about it. But the route back to our house, to my house, is, it was much darker on this route. There were very few streetlights, and so you had to really pay attention when you were driving through that area at night. 
And as we reached a four-way stop, I needed, and I noticed out in the distance on the side of the road, an object out there. And, you know, it looked like a garbage can or a tire. I don't know. I just noticed it. It was kind of the silhouette that was there. I didn't think much of it. And so as I uh, stood at the four-way stop and I started to creep forward, I noticed it moved a little. And I was like, oh my gosh, is that a person? What is going on? And so I, again, I just kind of kept my eye on it. I didn't think much of it. So I started to speed up. And as I sped up and I got closer to the object, I realized it took off running towards the street. And I could see, oh, it must be some sort of dog or coyote. I don't know what that is. And as I passed it, the dog, it ended up being a dog, didn't run in front of the car. It ran straight into the passenger side of my car, head first, boom, right into my car. And we all freaked out, like, what in the world was that, you know? And so I get out of the car, and the dog is standing on the side of the road. And you could tell he's just dazed, like, what just happened? He's almost sort of got this scowl on his eyes, like, how dare you get in my way, kind of an idea, right? And I'm just like, what are you doing, man? Like, you're not supposed to run into a moving car. He just kind of got up, and he ran away. And so, I don't know. I was like, whatever, I guess... I hope he's okay. So I drove home. I went home. It was fine. Maybe a week later, it's about Saturday morning. And I remember it because I was kind of sleeping in that morning. And my dad comes in and he's like, um, you need to get up. I was like, okay, what, what, what's up? He's like, I would like to know why there's a giant dent on the passenger side of your car. I said, what? There's no dent on my car. What are you talking about? He's like, come with me. So I go out and there is a huge dent in the passenger side of the car. And it took me a minute because, you know, like I was like, wait, did I do something? And then I was like, oh my gosh, dad, you're not going to believe this. A car, a dog ran into my car. Now listen, if you've ever been a parent, right? This is not a believable story. He's like, a dog did what? It's a little like, you know, when you're in school and you forget to do your homework and you tell the teacher, my dog ate it. It's kind of like the same excuse just with this thing. I'm like, no, seriously, dad, I can bring my friends. They'll tell you. I was driving down the road. This car, this dog ran straight into the passenger side of my car. To this day, I don't know if he believes me or not. I'm still not sure, but it's a true story. And so there was a few things that I learned about this enormous dent in the side of my granny mobile when I was 17 year old. Uh, and I distinctly remember my dad just sort of being dumbfounded by it. But I have this, this idea of what I learned that day. There's a few things that I learned. The first thing I learned is that dogs are awesome, but they're not always smart, okay? Right? The second thing I've learned is that Oldsmobiles were terrible cars, okay? Yes, they were. Yes, they were, Jan, Jane. They were terrible cars, okay? And number three, I learned that if you run into something head on, the impact will leave a sizable dent, which is what we're going to talk about this morning. Because like the dog hitting my car, did you know that you were created and called to make a dent? We have been created and called to make a dent in our world. Individually and collectively, Jesus has given us a mission to leave a dent in this world by the impact we have on it. So as Kristen and Salem mentioned, we are in a final, our final week of the series called We Are Genesis 2.0, and we've been walking through this mission and these mission priorities that we believe God has strongly called us to as a local church. 
And this mission that we've been going over, you may have heard it, you've probably heard it now ad nauseum, it goes like this, that we want to be a thriving community of changed lives, changing lives. Say it with me, changed lives, changing lives. Say it again, changed lives, changing lives. And that really should mean something to you if you kick the tires here at Genesis or if you've been here for a while. We believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth so that we would experience and understand how life was intended to be lived. That we would experience forgiveness for the sin in our life, that we would experience new life in the midst of all of the conflict and drama and suffering in this world. That through his love and through his death and through his resurrection, that our lives would be changed. And I could bring person after person after person up here in this room who would say, that is true of my story that Jesus changed my life. But it doesn't end there, we believe, that we're, our lives have been changed or can be changed, not just for ourselves, but for a deeper and greater purpose, that we have been called now to be change agents in the world, to make an impact, to set out and make a dent in the world. And so we have these four mission priorities. You'll see them out painted on the wall. We talk about them all the time. We want to be people that to do this, we want to follow Jesus. We want to connect with others. We want to invest in the next generation. We don't want to look back 20 years from now and realize that the kids and the teenagers we know now are nowhere to be found in the church. And we want to be people. We want to be a church that truly makes an impact in the world. We don't just talk about it. We don't just dream about it. But we actually go about doing the work of making an impact in the world. Now, if it helps, you can actually take two of our priorities, follow Jesus and connect with others, and place them under the category of changed lives, right? So if you want to experience a changed life, you want the inner work of God to be working in your life, follow Jesus, connect with others. Those are the two most powerful ways that God can start to do some new work in you and change your mindset, change your heart, change the way that you live your life. And then under the changing lives category exists invest in the next generation and impact the world. That we're being changed so that we can, we can inspire the next generation to know who Jesus is and so that we can make an impact, make a dent in the world. If there's one thing I know about Jesus and the first church, it is this. And if you read the book of Acts, which we're actually going to be getting into again next week, if you read the book of Acts, if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will see both Jesus and the first church set out to make a huge dent in the world. And they did it in a way that I think is very useful for us in understanding how we can make a dent, how we can make an impact in the world, even here in the 21st century. So I want to start with Jesus, right? Always a good place to start. Start with Jesus. We're in church, right? What's the answer? Jesus. Yeah, you'll never get wrong. You'll never get it wrong in the Bible study. Jesus, right? So I'm going to go to Luke chapter 15. So if you haven't done so yet, you can open up the YouVersion app and you can follow along with everything we're going to cover here. And uh, you can take notes in there and the whole deal. If you're in a group, the questions are in there for your discussion this week. We're going to start in Luke chapter 15. Maybe one of the most famous passages in all of the Gospels, right? Jesus tells these three stories. And the first one that he tells is about a shepherd and a sheep. And this is what he says. And I want you to notice too, who is listening to this story? Because there's two groups of people that are listening to Jesus as he tells the story. This is what he says in Luke 15. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law, which by the way, the Pharisees were very influential in Judaism in the first century. 
complained that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. How dare he eat soup with sinful people, right? So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and goes to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when, he, and when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I've found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed. This is so backwards to the way in which those who are part of first century Judaism understood God. God's focus to them was on the 99. It was all about them. And I suppose Jesus could have said, all right, Pharisees, let me finish dinner here, and then I'll come hang out with you, right? Because God really, the importance is, is placed upon you guys, the righteous, those who have inserted the 99. I'm going to go hang out with you. But he doesn't. He makes it very clear that he is here to make an impact, and it doesn't look like the way in which they have assumed it looked from the very beginning. Jesus has what I call focused impact, Right? So if you want to make a great impact in anything, like physically speaking, the way that you make a great, the greatest impact is you don't spread it out, you actually focus it in. Right? If you want to make a big dent in a car, you got to hit it in a very specific spot, focused impact, like a dog's head in a passenger door. That's how you make a dent, right? And so Jesus has very focused impact. He knows the kind of impact that's going to make a dent in the world, and he is going after it. Jesus' meeting with the Pharisees truly could have been a good thing. It, it wouldn't necessarily have been a bad thing, but him meeting with a group of, as Luke describes it, notorious sinners was a better thing because Jesus was focused, laser focused on making an impact on the one. He had focused impact, and dents really only occur when impact is focused like that. And we see this with the first church as well. In the book of Acts, as the church begins to grow, the Jewish religious elite, they start to feel threatened, as can often happen to all of us, right? And they begin to imprison and persecute the new Christians that are existing and that are coming to be all throughout the area of Jerusalem and Judea. And so in eight, Acts chapter 8, it says this, that a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the areas of Judea and Samaria. Now, you might think that at this point, the church would not be able to make an impact anymore. Right? They're not together anymore. They're scattered throughout this whole region around Jerusalem because they're being persecuted. And they're, you would think, well, go into hiding. like get, you know, Turn the temperature down on this thing and you know, let it, things rest a little. But that's not what happens at all. In fact, their ability to make an impact grows as a result of the persecution, right? And it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it says, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. I mean, this whole, this, whole, uh, this whole plan of the Pharisees and the religious elite to persecute the Christians, I mean, it totally backfired on them. They just created greater impact in the world because these people were going out with a focused impact on the one to tell people about Jesus who did not know him 
And now instead of it being just centralized in Jerusalem, it's going out into the whole world. And this was all a focused effort as Jesus tells them in Acts chapter 1, shortly before he's resurrected, or excuse me, ascends into heaven. And he says to them, this is what's going to happen. I need you to know this. Like I've been here 33 some years and my work here on earth physically is done. And now you're the plan, church. You're the plan. The impact that I have made, it is nothing in comparison to what you're going to see, right? Jesus even says to them, you'll even see greater things than what you've seen while I was here on earth. And then he says to them, and he gives them this commission, and he says, and you're going to be my witnesses in Acts 1.8, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. The impact that I started making, the focused impact on the one, now you're going to carry that mantle. You're going to go into the world, all the way to the ends of the earth, making a dent along the way. It began with Jesus, but he's now commissioned us, the church, to go into our backyards and our communities and into the rest of the world and continue to make an impact. You were created for this. You have been called to this. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, this is now your life's purpose. This is your mission, is to make an impact in the world. Now look, I, I want to make it very clear that collectively as a church at Genesis, we are, always going to, we are always going to work together to make a focused impact as a church, right? And so we'll do things here. We'll do things like, I know a, a group went over to the Northtown community and helped out some of those who are living in the area with their landscaping, some of their housework yesterday, and, and those are great things, and, and we feed teens on Wednesday nights, and, and we, we, we support missionaries, and we help plant churches through our denomination. We do all these great things through our collective efforts as a church, and, and we're always going to do that in our city and in our state and in the world, but I'm a firm believer I am a firm believer that what enabled the first church to make the dent they did wasn't because they got together once a month and made hygiene packs or had an outreach event once a quarter or because they went on a missions trip once a year. Those are all great things. Don't get me wrong. And we will do them here. But they caused, they caused an incredible dent in the world because the church was so committed to a focused impact as individuals. They understood that collectively we've been called to this, but I have been called to this. Think about it. We spend an hour and some change every Sunday, if you're here, by the way. And I know I was preaching to the choir today on that one because you're all here. But if you don't come twice a month, you only spend you know, a couple hours a month together with the gathered church. If you're in a group, maybe you spend another couple hours a week or every other week with people. Maybe you serve in some capacity on one of our teams, like Sayla talked about, and you do that maybe for an hour or two. So really what that means is that at maximum, uh, the, the maximum amount of time that we spend together as the gathered church, that you interact with the gathered church throughout the week is somewhere between three to five hours. For most though, it's probably more like two to three hours two to three hours of your week spent with the gathered church. Now, I did the math, and it's good. It's good math, I promise. It's good math, which means that about 165, 
of the allotted 168 hours a week are not spent in any real connection to the gathered church. 165 of your weekly hours are spent, as Luke refers to it, as the scattered church. 165. They're hours that you spend cooking breakfast and going to the gym, watching your favorite show on Hulu, taking your kids to dance practice, cheering on the Diamondbacks. Let's go. Coaching your kids, you know, team, talking to your mother on the phone, going to work and saying hi to your neighbor, walking your dogs, buying blueberries if you can find them at the grocery store, right? The 165 hours. This is what you do. You go to work, you go to school, you hang out with your family, you have dinner at night. 165 hours. You are the scattered church. And because of this, what you decide to do with your 165 will determine your level of impact. So then if our intention as a church is to really impact the world, to make a huge dent, then we are all going to have to ask ourselves one question. What will you do with your 165? How will you spend the time that you are scattered as the church? You know, the first church as individuals, they took it upon themselves, no matter where they ended up, as they scattered, to make a focused impact. In the face of persecution, they determined that they were going to use their 165 to leave a dent in the darkness, no matter where they ended up. Now, in a second, I'm going to give you what I think is the secret sauce for making an impact in your 165. But before I do, I, I want to make it really clear about the fact that there are no qualifications to actually participating in this. You do not need a resume to make an impact on the world for Jesus. You don't need it, right? It, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you're 8 or 18 or 80, you were created and called to make an impact. It doesn't matter how educated you are or how introverted or extroverted you are or whether you can quote the entire book of Zephaniah or you couldn't find the book of Zephaniah in the Bible right now. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 60 seconds or 60 years. What I'm about to tell you is for you. It is the opportunity that God has given you and me as a result of our faith in Jesus to make an impact in the world. Every person in this room who calls Jesus the leader and forgiver of their lives has been given an impact to make it, given the opportunity to make an impact, and I think in three very specific biblical ways. Are you ready for them? This is the secret sauce, I'm telling you right now. I'm going to give you the first two, and then I'm going to give you what I believe is the linchpin to all of it. And the first opportunity, we talked about it just today. The opportunity that we've all been given to start to make an impact in the world is to serve selflessly. The example of Jesus tells us that it is better to serve than be served. And those of you who have tested that out know it to be true. As he is hanging out with his friends, listen, before the, the night before he goes to his own death, he's hanging out with his friends, they're eating a meal, they take what we're going to do today, call communion together, they do all of this. But right before the meal, he does the most precarious thing. They're sitting around, they're eating, they're getting ready to eat, and he pulls out a, a, a basin of some kind, and he gets down on his knees, and he starts to wash the disciples' feet. Now that might seem like a weird practice to us, right? Like if you come to our house, 
We only wash people's feet when we feel like it's necessary. But, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're like, dude, you need your feet washed bad. Like, let's do this. But in the first century, this was a common practice, right? Most people wore sandals. If sh- they didn't have, you know, closed shoes very often. And so they would walk these dirty paths and streets. They didn't have cement and asphalt like we do today. And they would come into a home and they would actually recline when they eat. They wouldn't sit at like a table with chairs. They actually sit more on the floor and they would kind of recline. And oftentimes your feet would be next to the table or next to the person next to you. And so it was common practice. So when you came in, that one of the house servants would actually get down and they would wash your feet so that you were clean as you ate. Only the house servant doesn't do it. Jesus does it. Jesus. Do you remember who Jesus is? The creator of the universe, the Messiah of the world, the one that come down from heaven to save humanity. He's the one that gets down on his knees and he washes their feet. And the disciples are so just like, what are you doing? Right? Like, Jesus, why are you doing this? You shouldn't be doing this. Let me do this, you know, whatever. And Jesus says, no, no, this is, this is part of what I want. And then he says in John chapter 13, verse 15, he says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. I have come to serve you. And so like Jesus, we've been called to make an impact by serving selflessly, both inside the church and outside the church. When there are opportunities to help, we should be, we as followers of Jesus should be the people with our hands raised first. This is what we do. This is who we are. We serve selflessly. And I'm telling you, start seeing this as a way to use your 165 and God will make it very clear how you can start to serve in your home, how you can start to serve in your neighborhood or your workplace and beyond. The second opportunity that we have to make an impact in the world is to give generously. Giving generously is one of the coolest ways Listen to me, one of the coolest ways that you can continue to have an impact because a person's generosity actually fuels the impact of others in places and ways that they could never go. For instance, when someone, for instance, gives a dollar to Genesis Church, just a dollar to Genesis, that money goes to fuel the mission of our church and equip and empower the people of Genesis to make an impact collectively and individually. Think about this, because this is so cool. This is so cool. When you give to the church, for instance, you're using a portion of what you earned during your 165 to fuel others to make an impact in their 165. Are you tracking with me? You are actually fueling our teenagers to make an impact who meet every Wednesday night. You are fueling our Sunday mornings to equip and empower people to make an impact in their worlds. You're fueling our groups and our teams and our partnerships to make an impact. You're fueling our Genesis Kids ministry right now, and you're helping mobilize our children to make an impact in their schools and on their playgrounds. And by the way, just a side note, when you start to give generously, I've been doing this for decades, by the way, when you start to give generously, it won't just make an impact on others. This is the surprising thing. It'll actually make an incredible impact on you on your soul, on your heart, on your own personal transformation. The final opportunity that we have been given to make an impact and make a dent in the world, and this, I think, is the linchpin to all of it. And you may not even realize it exists or this opportunity exists, but it is at the very core of what it makes to make an impact. And we have been given the opportunity to influence daily. 
I think about this a lot. Because this, my friends, is where the real magic happens. And I mean that metaphorically, okay? Don't get someone send me an email. Here's the thing. You, individually, have been given a sphere of influence that is unique to you and you alone. It's as unique to you as you are in the rest of the world. It's the, the sphere of influence that you have is one of a kind. Do you realize that? that the relationships you have with people, they only exist for you or with you. And the people that you interact with, you're the only one that interacts with those people in that way. It is unique to you and you alone. And whether you realize it or not, you have influence in those relationships. And sometimes it's good influence. Sometimes it can be bad influence. But you have influence regardless now, I'm, listen, when I talk about influence daily, I want to be clear about what I'm not talking about, okay? I'm not talking about handing out pamphlets to people, okay? I'm not talking about, you know, uh, yelling at people about Jesus. You know, don't do that. Please just don't do that. What I'm talking about is real, genuine, relational influence that you have either because you've earned it or because it just is. You know, you have relational input and influence at your workplace just because you work there, right? The person you sit next to or the person you sit in a meeting with, you, just, you have influence just simply because you're there and it is unique to you. And here's the thing. If it was fully my responsibility or the staff's responsibility, let's just say hypothetically, to be the ones that make an impact, we would do such, we wouldn't make any impact because I can't sit in your meetings Right? I can't, I'm not going to go coach your son's sports team. Right? I, I, I'm not going to take your daughter to dance practice and hang out with the parents. How weird would that be? Right? This is unique to you. And when we collectively realize, oh my gosh, I have influence in the lives of other people on a daily basis that nobody else does. You start to see the kind of impact the church actually can make in the world. And this is exactly what the first church did. They were scattered throughout the Middle East, really, around Israel and Palestine, modern-day Israel. They were scattered. They, needed, they were homeless. And they went to those respective places, and they went, we've got influence here. We're going to tell people about Jesus. We're going to love them well. We're going to serve. We're going to give generously. We're going to be the people of God in the place that he has called us. It is here, I believe, that the majority of real, lasting impact is made. It's made in your home. It's made in your workplace. It's made in your friendships. It's made in your relationships. How you live in the space that God has placed you determines the size of the dent that you will make in this world and ultimately decides the, the size of the dent that we collectively as a church will make in the world. How you talk to people and pray for people and care for people and share with people, and listen to people. How you do those things, these are the things that make lasting impact in the world. And when you recognize that because the Holy Spirit now lives in you, and you can have an influence the world that will bring healing and redemption, it is then and only then you're able to make the kind of impact I think we all wish would happen with our lives. You have the capacity no matter how old you are, where you, how much money you have, where you live, you have the capacity and the opportunity to influence daily for the kingdom of God. 
And my challenge to you is to stop worrying so much about what is going to happen uh, on the two to five hours a week that we spend together as a gathered church. Very important, by the way. It fuels us. But to start to think about how could I make an impact with 165 hours I get when I am a part of the scattered church? How can I serve selflessly? How can I give more generously? And how can I influence daily in the relationships that I have? So I'm going to ask it again. What will you do with your 165? What will you do with it? Will you waste it? Will you shy away from the opportunities? Or will you lean into it? Will you see every moment of every day as an, 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 an ability to make an impact in the world? Because you've been given an opportunity to make a sizable dent for the kingdom of God. The question is, will you take it? Let's pray. God, I am... Uh, I am so grateful that, honestly, that my faith is not about me, but that it is about this world that we live in. I am grateful for the opportunities that you have presented just right before me on a daily basis. But I also confess, God, that I don't think about this as often as I should. I forget about the influence that I have or could have in the world that I live in. I, I, I miss opportunities to serve selflessly. I get a little greedy at times. And so I confess and I just ask God that you would change my heart. I know that we can all relate to that to some level. And so this morning as we wrap this series up and we think about what the future holds, I pray that we would take it upon ourselves, encouraging one another, challenging one another, to see those 165 hours a week when we are the scattered church as an incredible opportunity to make an impact in the world. And that as we gather, that we would hear each other's stories, that we would listen to the ways in which you are making an impact in the world, that it would move us to do even greater things as you promised. Lord, ultimately, I thank you for the example of Jesus. You know, he could have entered the world any way he wanted but he did it as humbly as he possibly could, unbeknownst to the, to the world at the time. You know, he could have had any amount of riches. He could have had as much you know, political or religious influence that he wanted, and instead, he was homeless. He lived simply. He walked among us. He experienced pain and temptation and suffering like us. And he did it all because he loved us and he knew that the path to true impact in this world is through humility and sacrifice and service, through generosity and influence. And God, I just pray that you would inspire us, that you would change us, that you would give us new eyes to see how it is that we, not only collectively but individually, can make an impact in the world that you have placed us, this unique space that you have crafted for us to live in, that we would see every hour, every day, as an opportunity to bring heaven to earth just a little bit through the way that we live and move and breathe with you among us. Thank you for this. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I find it only appropriate this morning that we would remember the sacrifice and the service of Jesus Christ.
Christ. And so we're going to take communion today. If you're not familiar with what communion is, Jesus, after he washes the feet of his disciples in that last meal, he gets together and he, as they're eating, he breaks a piece of bread. He said, this is the body that is going to be broken for you. And so when you get together, I want you to take this and eat it. And I want you to remember me. I want you to remember my example. I want you to remember the ways that I have loved you, that who I have called you to be. And then later he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks and he, he said, this is, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. And so when you get together, I want you to take this and drink it and remember that you have been forgiven, that new life has been found in you, that you now have a new relationship with God through me, that my promises are all yes and amen. They're all true. That you can live peacefully and confidently in that And I want us to remember as we take the bread and we eat the cracker, we drink the juice this morning, that we have been saved for a purpose. That you have been called to a new life, to be a changed life who goes into the world and changes lives, who makes an impact, who makes a dent in the world. And so there's three tables around the room if you feel led to come and take. And by the way, if you've never said yes to Jesus before, this is an incredible opportunity for you as you eat the cracker and drink the juice, that in that you are declaring him as your leader and your forgiver of your life. And so if you've not done that before, I invite you today to do that for the very first time, to lean into the faith that he is calling you to this morning. There's three stations around the room, one on either side of me. There's one in the back. You can head there. You could take a cracker, one of the juices, and head back to your seat. Just be with Jesus for a minute. Remember who he was. There's also a small basket on that table. And if you feel led, you can give generously to that this morning. It goes to our benevolence fund, which uh, helps people when they're in need here inside the church and outside the church. We help with things like utilities, um, food, shelter, all that kind of stuff. So if you feel led to do that, you can do it as well. But spend some time. The band's going to lead us through a song to remember the service and the impact that Jesus has made in your life and continues to make through you.